Hello, I'm Moses. I'm Carrie. And I'm Ryan. Welcome to the Meadowcast. Today on our podcast, we're talking with Associate Professor of Practical Theology at Canadian Mennonite University, Irma fast Duick. We want to chat about some of her recent work on baptism, membership, and young people in the church. Thanks for joining us. Well, Carrie and Ryan, this is now our fourth episode of the Menocast. I've been having a lot of fun. I hope that you two have also been having fun as we are learning all this stuff together. And listeners, we are still learning. We're in our pilot season. We're trying to figure everything out. Um, And we really appreciate some of the feedback that we've received. And if you have anything uh, to share with us, even ideas or suggestions, feel free to be in touch. You can find us on Facebook and always email themenocast at gmail.com. As we get into this conversation, uh, Carrie and Ryan, about baptism and membership and young people in the church with Irma Fastwick, I-, I was curious if if we could share a bit about our own stories of baptism. Um, and, you know, for me, that was such an ex- exciting and important time in my life. And I'd love to know what that was like for both of you. I don't know, Ryan, w- would you like to start? Sure. Um I have to dig around probably a bit further back in the memory than you two, but um, <laughs> I think it's almost 30 years ago now that I got baptized. I was probably 15 or so. Um, and in the church I grew up in, it was sort of just this, I, I was a part of a, a larger youth group and uh, it was just this thing that you sort of understood that was coming and that you had to do at some point, that um, uh, that it was part of just the narrative of being a person in the church. And so everyone, it, it tended to fo- follow a bit of a, a formula. You got to be in your mid-teenage years and um, there was a bit of subtle pressure exerted from grandparents and other people <laughs> about, uh, well, you thought about <laughs> baptism. And so I did it. I, I, I took the classes. I, I took the plunge. I was baptized by immersion uh, as a, I think a 16, yeah, I was 15 or 16 years old. I wish I could say it was this, it was this, wonderful transformative moment for me but honestly and I'm, I'm 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 scared to put this out there to a broader audience but i i think if memory serves i got baptized and then i walked out the side door of the church and and rushed off to play a hockey game oh. so, so not the most inspiring uh story to tell but it, it 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 was an important moment in my life where i became officially part of the church and um it's something that i've obviously grown to associate more importance with over time, it's like many things. You don't really know what you're getting into when you do it, and you, and you come to understand the importance of it. I mean, I didn't understand. I didn't have much of a theology of baptism operating at the moment. It was more of a, uh, you know, just just part of what it meant to be in the church, and it was something you did. Mm-hmm. Carrie, what about you? Yeah, I was baptized in my home church in Leamington, Ontario, and there's a very interesting culture of baptism there in a way that. I think like similar, there's this expectation that you get it, but still not everyone did. There might've been a sense of like some of those people being looked down upon, but all the Mennonite, a number of the Mennonite churches in the area had to, um, coordinate their baptism dates because all the young people and any family and friends, cause we all know each other would like flock from church to church for the month of June for all the baptisms. So you oh, were wow. just church hopping and then every Sunday afternoon in June, whoever got baptized at that church, because it was typically teenagers, everyone kind of had to pick their times for their baptism barbecue so we could go to all of them. 
So you'd like coordinate, like your your family's doing the lunch, so I'm doing the afternoon, and then so and so's doing supper, and so and so's doing the evening, and then it depended how many people in your youth group were being baptized. My time, I think there's only a smaller group, so we got to do like lunch and dinner. Um, so yeah, I, I made the commitment. We had kind of this also culture of taking the classes one year, um, not getting baptized that year, but then taking them again the next year and then getting baptized. I think I was probably ready a bit earlier than I did it, but there was a sense that I needed to let the older youth go first. Um, I don't think I had like a firm understanding of baptism or theology similar to Ryan, but I think where I was at when I did it in grade 11, I was kind of there when I was in grade nine as well. I just, I love the church. I love the faith. I was totally in for committing myself to it. Um, I remember it being an odd experience, like the women wear all white, which is just like a, a strange functional thing. It was uh, done via pouring or sprinkling. I don't even know if I felt the water very much. Um, definitely no doves, no <laughs> clouds opening, but um, a great way to like commit publicly. But it's always funny after baptism because people welcome you. They're like, welcome to the church now. And I'm like, I have been here since <laughs> like an infant. Have I not, have I not been a part of you? You know, it's, it's strange that way. I have to add one, one horrifying detail to my story. Our, our, our church had a practice of uh, you would share your testimony and then anybody in the congregation could ask you a question <gasps> on the spot. Oh, really? In, no. In, in, in the, yeah. Yeah. And so my, my dear grandfather, my, who's now with the Lord, um, he stood up and he asked me in front of probably 300 plus people if I, if I, if I was holy. And you can imagine as a 16 year old um, young, young man, I did not feel particularly holy. Um, oh. I, knew, I knew this was a trick question somehow and I fumbled and bubbled and I, he eventually, I think he had pity on me and I was just squirming behind the mic. I, I, I stuttered terribly as a child and I, I was probably, panicking up there but he eventually supplied the right answer which was that i was holy because of what christ had done for me but in the moment it was just like oh come on grandpa give me a break <laughs> wow we did testimonies oh, but no questions after no, thank no the grilling. lord yeah <laughs> yeah but moses what about you what's your baptism story yeah i, I well i was baptized in the baptist church oh. the baptist tradition uh, so also fully immersed, you know, like Ryan. Uh, I was baptized at 16. And, and I, as I look back and think about myself then, I feel like I thought I had it all together. Like I thought I knew all the answers. I was so ready. You know, I I, uh, I thought there couldn't possibly be more for me to learn or grow. <laughs> like I, I had it. And, uh, you know, I'm basically I'm ready to die, <laughs> basically. Um, so at that time, right, just making that commitment uh, to, to the church and to Christ and to faith seemed so, uh, so obvious to me. And I, I desired that so much. Um, the special part for my baptism is that my dad baptized me. Oh. My dad is a, a former pastor. And so he had the chance to baptize me and two of my brothers as well at the same time. So that was really special. I uh, uh, also, you know, gave testimony and, and all of that. Um, and I just remember it being like a very affirming experience for me. Even the classes beforehand, you know, I, I really enjoy that. Really appreciated the community that nurtured me into that. Um, 
But now, of course, when I look back, I'm like, oh, man, I was a stupid 16 year old kid. Like I had <laughs> I do nothing. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm now at a place where I, I can kind of look back and see that. Um, but but yeah, I, I look back with fondness at that time. But I don't really, you know, name that as the moment I became a Christian or the moment like I became part of the church. It's kind of a step in the journey. Uh, but I've been part of the church forever. Um, both of you know Irma Fastuik, who is an associate professor of practical theology at Canadian Mennonite University. But she has also been really involved in research um, and conversations around baptism, uh, around young people in the church, also even marriage, cohabitation. And, you know, she's often speaking at conferences that we're at as well. So we get to hear her uh, quite a bit. And, and knowing that this is one of her passions um, we thought, man, this would be really great to invite her onto the podcast and have a conversation uh, together. And so we want to jump right in. Um, now, this, of course, was recorded a little while ago. And, and Carrie, uh, you know, we were still trying to figure out how to do all the time changes and everything. <laughs> so Car- Carrie wasn't able to be part of the conversation. But let, let's get into this uh, dialogue with Irma Uh, about baptism and membership and and the church. And one of the first questions that we asked Irma was to also tell us about her experience, her story of her baptism when she was younger. I'm one of those that grew up uh, long generations of people in Mennonite churches and and active in Mennonite church and leadership. I I always have often said that I think one of the shocking things, one of the least shocking things is I got baptized and became a Christian (laughs) because it would have been more shocking for me not to with, uh, you know, in in terms of my own formation. Uh, It it was the most obvious thing to me. Getting baptized was the most obvious thing in the world. Um, Of course, that was going to happen. I may as well baptize me as a baby, frankly. (laughs) That decision was made (laughs) uh, for me anyway. Um, so there was no doubt about that, um, uh, about that. And in some ways, the decision wasn't hard, but in some ways, the decision was exactly, I, I had the same conversation with my mentor and uh, the pastors at my church as my students have with me, like, I'd love to get baptized, but I don't want to be part of the church. And I was quite frustrated with the church. Uh, it's patriotism, it, patriotism, not it's patriotism. Uh, it's patriarchy, it's misogyny, it's... Um, lack of commitment to social issues that I was interested in. They weren't vegetarian. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Wait, were you vegetarian? Are you vegetarian? I wasn't. Okay. That, that, I'm saying that facetiously, but but there was no understanding of being a vegetarian. It's like everyone else was normal, and then there's Irma. She's vegetarian. Oh, <laughs> uh, um. But um, but that that aside, uh, so there was that weariness about the church and and a very hierarchical church, a very male church, and as someone with sort of feminist inclinations, you know. But I but on the other hand, I love the church. I love the people in it. They were the people who raised me. They're my friends, my family's friends, and and that. When I got baptized, the rule was all the women have to wear white dresses. <laughs> Which, uh, so the women had to wear white, but the men could wear whatever, but women had to wear white. So think about that. Isn't that interesting? What's going on there? Um, I remember my baptism. I remember how prosaic the experience was. In a sense, it was just very 
common. Like I, I didn't have any amazing experience of any dove flying in and blessing me. Um, it, it was quite, you know, unremarkable in some ways. And some of the, some of this had to do with the fact that I was kneeling at the top of a set of stairs and, and I was wearing clogs and my feet were hanging over the step. And my nightmare was while I was getting baptized that my clogs were going to fall off my feet and go ding, 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 ding down the steps. <laughs> and this is what I'm thinking. And so my, my toes are curled up, uh, you know, so I could keep my clogs on. Just get me through this. So, you know, and that was maybe part of the experience. And I tell that story because you think, oh, that so maybe the baptism didn't take, you know, like maybe something because it was. But it was the most, I mean, it has shaped my life in such a way that I, I can't even begin to comprehend how that path that my baptism put me on, put me on. Um, so, um, so in some ways, the, the event was prosaic, commonplace, not nothing exciting, but it changed everything. What was shocking for me was the evening because that was communion. And I'd never in my life seen a communion service. Uh, we had Abend Mal where the, you know, uh, closed communion. And so if you weren't baptized, you'd never, I'd never seen communion in my life. I'd seen baptisms. I grew up in the church. And uh, that was, uh, that was more of a, wow, like incredibly spiritual experience for me was the communion. So, yeah. Sorry, long mm. answer. <laughs> no, that's great. I want to, Irma. I want to jump off on one one of the comments you made there about um, when when about baptism. There being this reluctance to to associate with the church. People are keen to get baptized, or more or less keen to get baptized, but they don't aren't as interested in being part of a church. And I I wonder if you could comment on a trend that I've certainly noticed, and I'm guessing you have too. And it's I, I see a parallel track here with weddings, where um, where increasingly weddings are separated from any kind of institutional trappings they take place in the woods or the beach or the the camp the summer camp in Mennonite circles often or the backyard um, and they are more um, that the church if it's to play a role it's mostly to kind of provide the, the the furnishings around the around the event and I wonder if the same is true sometimes for baptism if we I noticed this even in some of young people really close to me um baptism it, it's good but um it's mostly to kind of reinforce my brand um and I, and, and so if if the church doesn't reflect my politics my ethics my whatever then so much the worse for the church but i'm really interested in having this experience so i wonder if you, that's a whole bunch of stuff going on at once there but i'm wondering if you can comment on some of those trends that, that i've noticed that i'm sure you have too yeah. Oh, I've seen this. Uh, absolutely. And in fact, uh, I do a lot of, I've been doing a lot of research on marriage cohabitation and stuff and the parallels with um, uh, the, the, you know, what I think are two research projects, the work I do on bat on marriage and cohabitation and living together and all that. And then the work I do on baptism. Um, but the, the, the intersections are all over, uh, all over the place uh, on that one. And, and I think that the, the biggest issue that, that comes to mind, again, you know, this idea of baptism being a commitment of faith, I mean, of course it is. It's very personal. It's very intimate. Um, 
but um, to have a kind of a baptismal imagination that doesn't imagine a community is in any way part of what it means to live the baptized life. It's it, it's like to think that you can be married apart from the world you're married into, uh, the families and the the friends and everything, and that, that somehow we think of that that marriage is just between two people. Um, and, and I think the same thing happens with baptism that we think about it. We, we think about church as being kind of an add on or, or an extra or a, it's superfluous. It, it just is the space for the other. And, and it just, it, it, it feels like we've just missed the depth of what baptism brings us into, um, uh, in terms of that communal, that relational, um, piece, um, and, but I think the problem is, for those of us in the Anabaptist Mennonite tradition, is the problem is our, is our theology of believers' baptism um, that assumes that we choose our church, that we choose. It's all about my choice, my preference. I decide I want this. I like this about the church. I don't like that. And I don't think our Anabaptist foreparents imagine this idea of choice, which we value that you can choose um, as being as where it's taken us to this. Well, now I can choose all kinds of things. I want I want I want a personal faith in God, but I don't want a church community. I want this church community or I don't want that or I want this part of the church and I don't want that part of the church. Um, and and we we somehow miss the fact that actually as christians the church is given to us as a gift like it's it's given to us like we receive baptism we receive the church uh, we receive baptism we don't say i earned baptism or i i guess you can say i got baptized but when we talk about baptism we say it's something we receive and we receive with baptism we receive the church we receive each other and um and there's something about that giftedness of being part of a community that that we think that it's somehow like like something that that we can choose not to have um and in that way like that's the advantage of the infant baptism is because there is no choice there that the, the baby is baptized and is received into God's community and the baby it's like we don't choose our families we are baptized into that family the family's ours whether we like them or not and we can shut them out or whatever but somehow we imagine the fact that we to be christian that we can somehow be christian apart from the givenness of the church that comes. So I don't know, does that make any sense or mm-hmm. so it's a reframing yeah. of what we think about what the church is. Um, well, there's so much going on there and it makes a ton of sense what you say. And I, and I wonder even if beyond the givenness of, of family and church and those, those, those dynamics that are so theologically important, there might even be a, even on a more mundane level in a, in, in a culture that is so polarized and so where we have, we are so tempted to just hive off into little interest groups and cluster together with right thinking people or right acting people, the church sticks us in contexts where people piss us off and where they, where they don't, they they don't think rightly, they're stubborn, they're whatever. Right. And I think, 
at its best, that could probably be a gift. And, 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 and baptism binds us to that in a way that many things, I don't know if anything else can. It's like marriage in that way as well, right? Yeah, and, and we think, we have this tendency to think that difference in the church is a problem that we have to solve. And so I, I can't be part of a church unless they believe exactly like I do. Again, that's part of that choice thing, that somehow we can choose to be with like-minded people. But isn't the brilliance of the church is that we're given each other as brothers and sisters, not because we've chosen in a sense, but because we are all part of a body which has many parts. And now we are part of all those parts, just like we don't choose our families in the same way, you know, like our, our you know, they're, they're given to us. And, and to see difference is not something as an oops in the church, but is in probably critical to what the church is, is that there is difference in it and now we are bound up into that difference and and we have to find our way through that and that in that wrestling we discover something of who god is and god's love which brings us together and um so anyway there to, to think about the church in that prosaic way of of just um you know i want to be with people i agree with or you know i want to control everything about the church misses the profoundness of what a body of Christ is all about and the, the profound gift it is to be bound up to these people that drive us crazy. Mm. But this is, all sounds good, but it's hard. I mean, you pastors, you know how hard it is. <laughs> well, and I think there's an anthropology. Sorry, Moses, I don't want to dominate this, but no, um, keep I, going. I, there's, there's, an, anthrop- there's a, an anthropology at work here, I think, that, that is really crucial. Like the fact that I want to get baptized into a church that, that, that reflects everything that I presently think right now at 19. That sort of implies that I, I don't have any, th- any rough edges to be worked off or anything to, to be corrected on for the rest of my life, which is insane if we stop to think about it. But so there's, there's so much going on in this need to be, I, I think, in this need to be locked in with people who aren't like us, but, could, but together we can kind of help each other on the way. But I, I think that's that's point about helping each other on the way. I think that's the critical thing because we so easily think about weddings and baptism as self-enclosed events. They are events that happen in time and space and that is it. And then, you know, and then comes the rest of life without realizing that that what marriage is a wedding is it's it's a pathway that we what now walk as a married person and to figure that out and baptism is that same way uh that that it puts us on this trajectory but we have this tendency to see baptism as this kind of event this this self-enclosed event and, and marriage the weddings the same way and and we don't see the connection between wedding and the life of marriage and baptism and the life of faith would you say that at the point of your baptism, this is what was going through your head, or or like or maybe what was going through your head? Were you thinking, I I I need to belong to this body, accept this gift of baptism, even with people I disagree with, or were you thinking, no, this is a decision that I want to make because of my faith, and I might not stay in this church, or you know, like where were you at with that? And the question I'm getting to is like, where did that start to change for you, uh, in terms of seeing things more broadly? I think at baptism, I didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, again, similar when I got married, I didn't know. Thank goodness. <laughs> but, uh, um, but I think what probably helped change things for me was my participation in a broader 
life of faith outside of my own church community. So here I'm talking about camp, working at camp with people from lots of different backgrounds, lots of different kinds of churches, uh, going to Congreve College in Ontario and being part of that community. And and suddenly my baptism, I, I began to understand church to be so much more than just my experience in my one community that I grew up in. So to value that experience but how baptism moved me into this larger Christian community to, to recognize the interrelationship of myself. And, and then from there, I moved into much more ecumenical settings. And I did, I'm one of the few faculty at CMU that did virtually all my theological work in ecumenical schools and, and didn't go to Mennonite schools per se. I, I went to Grable. I, well, I, I took a course at, or two at Grable, but I didn't get a major from Grable or anything. I was in social science. Um, so, uh, so there was something about that ecumenical piece that I think really deepened my understanding of, of both what it meant to be Christian, um, and, uh, and a greater curiosity, uh, and, and wonder about what the Christian faith was asking of me and what it was calling and, and what God was doing in this broader, fuller way. But, but I felt really lucky. A camp, I can't say how critical camp was in helping put me uh, in in that um, in those relationships and and seeing myself in this community that was broader than just my home congregation. I think in Mennonite circles, unfortunately, in my experience and what I've observed in others also is that baptism sometimes is a bit of a dour affair. Like it's like you're signing up for a, a life of grim, joyless discipleship. Um, <laughs> We're That's gonna, not what it we're is. Going to get baptized, <laughs> and then we're going to roll up our sleeves and do, 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 right? And I was at a, I was at an Orthodox baptism for some Syrians in our community last, last summer, and I was struck by, it's just a sheer party. They baptized this baby, and it was more elaborate than any wedding I've been to. It was just like a party with booze and food and dancing and celebration and they were holding this baby over their heads and jumping around in circles and I thought you know somewhere between that and kind of going going into the waters and getting ready for the next church business meeting we, we have we have to there's something in between there isn't there yeah <laughs> we have something to learn about joy in, in, in baptism about something that's given to us like you say I yeah and we come by it honestly I mean you look at the baptismal texts like I just finished working at old baptismal texts for, for the new hymnal like we tried to rework some of the language and we sunk ourselves into these old texts that I yeah like it's a a heavy burden and you don't want to take away from of, of course it is you know it's there is a commitment going on um but again we we've lost exactly the sense of grace of wonder of god um when when you moses has heard me say this or maybe you have too ryan but when when students will say to me when i've done interviews with them i say well why aren't uh do i or they'll say something like do i need to get baptized to be a christian like why do i need to get baptized and and i right away say well why don't you desire it like why don't you long for it? why don't you yearn for the waters of baptism to, to wash over you that well why don't you yearn to participate in the flow of water that has brought our ancestors and our the saints and and everyone why don't you want to be in that stream with every with this community of of faith that has given you has, has created the possibility of 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 your own faith you know the faith of our our foreparents and why don't you want why don't you desire it and and it, it it's just this heaviness and 
I, I'd be really open to how it is we can restore that joy and find a way of, um, of, of seeing that recognizing the gift, even as we recognize that baptism is asking something of us as, as it asks of the parents and the godparents at infant baptisms, that, that, that there's something being asked, um, that's going on there. But, um, yeah. So then Irma, what has happened? Uh, because as you just articulated asking back to, uh, your students or to people you've interviewed, why don't you long for this? Um, like what is going on this trend that Ryan was talking about? Um, that, that, uh, it's, we don't want to pick on young people, right? But, uh, we see this a lot in our churches that either they're leaving the church they or they don't want to be baptized or they think of things differently. And I, and I think a lot of us are just kind of stuck as leaders in the church. Like what, what's going on? <laughs> why, why is this? And, and what do we do about it? Um, and you've done so much research around this, you could probably just give us all the answers. <laughs> no, never been. <laughs> I've tried that. It never works. <laughs> um, I think the easy answer to that question is, I think, I don't, I don't think people quite know. We haven't communicated very well what baptism is about, and and we've not meant to say what we've done, but somehow messages have been communicated that haven't enlarged, haven't helped people to fully understand. For example. Um, when I had researchers, uh, Peter App and Joseph Caranto, I had two CMU uh, students who were doing research, interviewing young adults who were active part of churches, Mennonite churches, but weren't baptized. And they were interviewing them to see what was going on. And I remember listening to one or looking at the transcript of one of the, uh, one of the interviews with Joseph. Joseph is a Presbyterian from Kenya interviewing a Mennonite, <laughs> a, young, a Mennonite young adult who is active in the church but not baptized. And at the end of the interview, the young adult says to Joseph, and says, Joseph, would you baptize me? I hadn't really thought about these things that you're asking me. And we had a number of points where people came back and said, you know, I, I've never really had a conversation around baptism like this. Like no one has ever pushed me to think about some of these things. And to me, that's the easy answer. Um, it's not the only answer, but I think some of it is uh, what I said to the Mennonite Church Manitoba pastors, I think uh, Moses, you may have been part of that, um, is that the formation around what baptism and church membership is, is about, there's not a lot of places where we get to talk about it. Like chances are the only time we talk about baptism is when there's a baptism. And if you didn't have a baptism that year, when would you have talked about baptism? Or if you missed church that Sunday, wait for the next year, you might get the formation around baptism. That's where I, I say I envy churches who don't who have baptismal fonts at the back of the church and you touch the water all the time because you're always reminded we're we're reminded of our of our of communion. The communion table is there. We even if we're not having communion, we know that this is part of our identity. But we unless you're and, and even the midnight brethren, they'll have baptismal fonts hidden behind cart uh, curtains or walls or something that you just bring them up when there's a baptism. But I wish we could find more ways of 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 talking about it. And I know with my CMU students, um, uh, I think when we start having the conversation, there's lots of interest, but you know, I, I wish there were more places that we could 
communicate and and that's the thing about encouraging church people to talk about their what it's meant for them to live their life of baptism and, and not just talk about baptism as an event at one time but what is it meant for them to live the baptized faith like even their language to think about this um i th i think that would help um there's bigger cultural issues but i think some of this is just a, a kind of a, a not much enough education and formation around a baptismal I, I call it a, we need to develop a better baptismal ecology i keep saying a, a ground a baptismal ground that we're growing our faith in and um and and that it show that it's that we fertilize it, it, it that we nurture it in lots of different ways um not just in teaching but in actions and practices but I wonder also if there's a, like we're formed culturally as well as just in the church, obviously, for better or worse. And um, I wonder if you could speak to what I've observed a little bit in young adults in my circles. Um, you know, maybe in the 1600s or 1500s, this idea that you could choose something for yourself and that you ought to was, was liberating and it was profound good news and it was something to be celebrated. And that's kind of the birthplace of our of our ancestors or the, the birthplace of our Mennonite faith. But in, in this cultural context, what I often see is, is young adults who are almost literally paralyzed by the choices available to them in every domain of life. And they are trained in so many ways that they are sovereign over their little domains and they don't really want it in, in many ways. They don't want to make another choice. They want someone, they want something to be given to them. Do you see that too? Do you see that, that like maybe part of this baptismal ecology is somehow recovering some of the givenness of it in some way. I don't know what that looks like or how you'd ever recover it, but it just seems like the, the cultural contexts are so profoundly different between when we were negotiating our theology of baptism and now that in, in some ways you can't even really make that connection anymore. Yeah, you're right on. Well, and, and, and part of this, I mean, that's the gift of infant baptism is that there's nothing the child could have done to deserve God's grace. That water comes pouring down, uh, not because the child has been really good, has figured out the confession of faith, agrees. God's grace just comes washing down on that child and, um, and, and is anointed with the, the oil and blessed, you know? And, um, and so this is not to replace a pedobaptist theology with our theology, but it is to say we did respond in reaction to the, the, you know, we come out of a context, we do respond and we created a baptismal theology in response to the a context of given time. But how is it that we develop this part of baptism that, that it is about opening our hearts to God, working in our lives. It, it is our response to what God is doing and what God wants to do with us um, and how God wants to work in our lives. We're opening ourselves up to this all and, uh, and the generous pouring of water and, and the, uh, along with the, the, that prodigal grace of God that just pours out on us, uh, even if we haven't figured it all out. Uh, um, and, and again, it comes from a broader ecumenical understanding of, of God's work and God's agency. And our baptism is just a response to what God is doing and, and will continue to do with or without us. Um, uh, 
Um, and so it's not to replace our theology, but how can we deepen our baptismal theology and develop this ecology so that this sense of, of, of love and grace and um, embrace, which has always been part of baptism as well, the larger baptismal world, that it continues in our tradition as well. And so reclaiming it, we try to really work with this in the, you'll see if you get that, when you get the new hymnal and the new baptismal, we really try to work at developing that a little bit further if uh, with the next resources. Uh, Ryan, were you at the, uh, the Abbotsford conference uh, this past summer? I was not. You weren't, eh? Ryan, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but um, this was, would have been the second time because, Irma, at, at the, the pastor's gathering for Mennonite Church Manitoba, you did this too. But there was this, this huge uh, font, this huge bowl filled with water. And in one of the worship services, uh, we were all invited to come up and either touch the water, just look at the water, whatever, to reflect on our baptism. And, and and Irma, I think before you were saying too, we don't really think about baptism unless it's Baptism Sunday, right? And, and this practice, for me at least, was such a powerful moment that, yeah, we don't recall our baptism on a regular basis. But when we do, like for me, it was this reminder of everything you're talking about, Irma, my calling, my invitation, the, the grace that has been poured out on me. And, and, and I thought, well, we got to do this more often. Like... I, you know, are these some of the practices you're talking about? And, and are there different ones that you would s- suggest for churches to try? Yeah, I love I love that the bowl of water, touching the bowl of water, because to me, it just speaks to fidelity, to God's fidelity um, to us, all of us here, to those who've gone, you know, uh, before us. And it, it, it speaks to that. And so the renewal of baptismal covenants is one of them. The, 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 the symbols, the ritual reminders is another uh, one of them. The storytelling around what has your baptism come to mean for you. Instead of saying, what, tell me the, the, your story of faith, but to word it through the language of baptism. Um, uh, and so, so I think there are these things that can happen throughout the life of the church um, and I think even like when we do have our baptismal services too, like there too, you know, we haven't always let them speak in the way that we mean them to speak, you know, and, uh, I, I have sometimes really criticized the tendency, for example, at the, at the end of the baptism and, you know, then there's a, a, a handshake, welcome to Bethel Mennonite church or welcome to Charleswood Mennonite church or, you know, like, you know, and it feels like it really feels institutional. Like now you're part of the club, you know? And, and, and so there's something about even the ceremony itself. Like, how is it that when we do that? And, and, and so if I, I think, if I think if I'm a young adult, I, I think about, you know, someone, you know, I observe this baptism happening and then I think, wow, that person, um, uh, you know, uh, and now they get welcomed by the church council chair or the deacon's chair, uh, or something with, with this handshake. And, and it just says, yeah, the church really is an institution. <laughs> and so how is it that, what could we do in, in the church surround? Like, how can we also symbolize the entry into the church without an envelope and a handshake or assigning a book, um, which all speaks of institute, which all speaks of contract, we think of church membership as a contractual relationship and, and we've got to lose that contractual piece. How do we see it 
as this this covenant as a in a more theological way and i think the gestures the actions around baptism can help enlarge that too i don't know what it what it would be but i think we can do better I absolutely think we can do better. And I have a, a story even from our own experience recently. My, my daughter wanted to get baptized and she she wanted to go right under. She wanted to the full immersion and, and she wanted to do it at her grandpa's farm, the farm I grew up on. And so we went out there and, and most people in our church had never seen a full immersion baptism before. And we invited all of our, our Syrian friends who are Orthodox Christians or Catholics to come. And they'd obviously never seen anything like that either. And it was watching their faces alone was incredible. But then we, we had all this, this this weird family come together and watch this. And my daughter's an indigenous, she's an Ojibwe. And so you had this um, Ojibwe Christian young woman being baptized in a Mennonite church in, in immersion with a bunch of Syrians looking on. And then we had a big potluck afterwards and it was a party. And I was it was, it was one of the highlights of my ministry, honestly. <laughs> And the angels were dancing in heaven too, yeah. and a party was just going on. <laughs> there, there, there was no handshake from a deacon. There was no, there was no, you know, any of that. And I couldn't have been happier, honestly, because it felt like it felt like it should feel. I think for for baptism. Mm. Well, l- l- let me uh, push back with something that sometimes comes up for our leadership, because exactly what you're saying, this contractual relationship between these church members, is something that we often. Um, uh, veil in accountability language. <laughs> and I think there's frustration, right, from from people in leadership who are trying to keep the ship running because we got these programs, we got these committees, we got we to gotta find people for stuff. And if things are empty or not done, then it's like, hey, what are you guys doing? You're members of this church and, you know, you have a responsibility. And like, is, is that whole system broken? Like, do we need to totally blow up the church membership thing and forget the committees and let's just let's just be a you know a, a free people of god and but then what it, does that even look like i think you need a separate podcast moses <laughs> someone still has to clean the toilets yeah. and all that still gotta get done um <laughs> Yeah, and, and and I think it is. I, I think it is. Um, I, I like, but it's true. Like in in the sense that 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 baptism, we're asked, like we're asked of something. Like something is asked of us. Sorry, in baptism, um, I I don't know if it helps. I, I sometimes say to my students, you have to imagine that membership in the church, rather than membership, which sounds like 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 I keep saying, I have a Costco membership, I have a Y membership. I have a membership to my church. You know, I have all the membership cards in my wallet. I mean, I don't have a church membership card in my wallet. But, you know, that idea. We know what membership looks like, this contractual thing. Um, but if what if we were to imagine, um, like, our participation in the community is more like a spiritual discipline, a spiritual practice. Like, I, I really think church membership is a spiritual practice. Um, we, we, we get it. We get better at it. We grow in the practice of it. Um, but just like prayer or fasting or any other spiritual practice or discipline, um, it asks something on our part. And if you're an athlete, you know all about what it means to practice and, and grow in your in your sport and your skills. And 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 I think membership in the church, I, I think we need to think about this like we would any other spiritual practice uh, that we were given each other in baptism. That's a given. We can't say no to that. Um, but how do we, but to grow in that life of that community requires a discipline on our part, a spiritual discipline, a spiritual practice. 
um, and we need to help each other in, in growing in our practice. And I don't know if that makes a difference, but it, it feels, um, I, I, like I love in my church how we're working at um, gift discernment because rather than, you know, working away at committees and how to get people in, that they really see this as, as, as the discipline of using our gifts. Like, like you're asked, you're invited to use your gifts for the body of Christ and how will those gifts be used? And, and, but to not use your gifts, like that, like that's not really an option. <laughs> that's what we're asked. And um, so. I wonder if it's a similar dynamic to what's playing out even in the broader cultural realities right now with um, some of the really divisive rhetoric around what, what this pandemic is, is asking of us right? Like you, you hear a lot of talk about rights, maybe especially out here in the Wild West. Um, you, but there's also, along with what's given in a right, is what's asked as a responsibility. And we have a responsibility to our neighbors, fellow citizens, and in the same way in the church. We, we, there's a given reality to baptism and belonging, but things are asked of us as well. So I like what you said there about um, trying to recover what's asked of us as a spiritual discipline. I like, I like the way you framed that. Well, the, the most classic sense is like baptism always had a renunciation of Satan. Uh, mm -hmm. Old ancient baptismal practices always involved an enunci a renunciation, a saying no. Uh, not not Satan as a mythical being. That's what we think of it, you know. But we think about the the powers and the the the, the principalities and the powers that in baptism there's this renunciation, a no, with saying yes you know uh, a, a, an allegiance to god the faith the christian church and this is this ancient you know from the early the early documents we saw this renunciation and we have just introduced this actually back into the mennonite church because we used to mennonites did it too but then they left it and but but again it reminds us that that baptism is always a saying no and a saying yes some some of us i mean i'm not that old but some of us older folks are, you know, we can get frustrated or we just don't know what to do, right? When when young people are, are leaving the church or, or, you know, in our minds don't want to commit or, you know, whatever. Um, what what have you seen as 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 the gift, a gift? Maybe just one. What is one gift that young people are infusing into our churches that, that we need to open our eyes to, to recognize I think what gives me the most hope for the church right now, and the Mennonite church included, is um, working with young adults at CMU. I'm so inspired by them all the time. And it's my work with them that makes me the most hopeful um, for the church um, in, in all kinds of ways. I mean, I have to be careful. I always say that because we, th we think the church is something we produce or we create. And as I said earlier, it's not. God will keep working through the church with or without us and with or without our young people in the church. And the church will be who knows what. Um, because, but God, you know, it's, it's kind of arrogant to think that the church is, you know, dependent on the weight of our leaders and pastors, um, that it's going to make or break it. God will work. I really firmly believe that. But I also believe... <laughs> Um, like in, like, I, I am so inspired by working with young adults all the time. I, I just think it gives me so much hope. I'm trying to think of what, you know, one of the gifts, I think one of the, the gifts that they bring us is the ability to live with the both and, um, from someone like me, who's heading into the sixties, getting into 60, 
you really grew up with it. Here's the church and here's the world like that. This or that, this or that, um, in or out. Uh, and their ability to hold things that feel desperate together and, and be able to walk in the middle of that. Forgive me for using this analogy, but I've used it before. I think sometimes we think of the church as a contracted space, as a small space. And con in conflict resolution, they talk about contraction. When, when, um, when people are in a conflict, they contract, right? You're made small, you, you're up against a wall, you're between a rock and a hard place. Small space um, is, is a contracted space. And part of conflict resolution is to open up space so that people can uncontract and spread out. And, um, and I think the gift of the young adults is their ability to imagine the church not as such a contracted space, but as a more open space and um, um, a more generous space. And, and they hope for this generous open space. And, and I think um, that is a, a gift uh, to us. And I think it's as Christ-like as as can be. be I, I think of the uh, the metaphor of the cross, of Christ on the cross, has got to be the most uncontracted space of the arms wide. Um, um, and, um, and yeah, I'm inspired by young adults in their ability to, to, to imagine the church in a place that that can be, at, in their best moments. <laughs> Continuing that in terms of the imagination of young people for the church, uh, for you personally, think of 10, 30, 20, whatever years down the road. Like, what do you think the church, and if you want to speak specific to the Mennonite Church in Canada, or if you want to speak broader than that, like, like what do you see? What do you hope? Uh, what changes do you see coming? And, and what do you think the church will look like? Well, here I can only, like, I, I can't speak for the whole church, and I can't speak for God on this one, because the church will be, or... <laughs> um. I, I, I don't know. I, I think something good is on the horizon for Mennonites, uh, for the Mennonite church in Canada. I, I, I just see some remarkable things happening, uh, in the last five, 10 years, um, that are quite inspiring. Um, even as we've struggled and I, and I don't want to take away from the pain and the struggle that we've been through. Um, I think, I think we're beginning to understand ourselves more in relationship with a larger church, that we're not just these little Mennonite enclaves, but that we're part of a larger community of church. And I think that will help us as we work out our local ecclesiologies. I don't know. I don't know what else to say, except for that. I, I have no doubt that God um, will, God has been faithful to the church up until now and God's fidelity will continue. And, um, and that God will continue to work with the church and work with our decision-making as flawed as it will be, um, that, that the church will remain the body of Christ in the world with or without us. But I, I think, um, yeah, I just think something new is on the horizon, but I, I, sorry, I don't quite know what, <laughs> what it will be. Oh, that, that's great. Ryan, you have any other things you want to add? No, I usually end most of my sermons with something about God's fidelity, and I wouldn't want to go, I wouldn't want to end anywhere else than that, so I think it's a good place to end. No, this, this is great. I, I think um, um, you're, you're helping us to maybe spark our imagination 
uh, and I hope too that leaders in the church will be able to recognize the gifts of young people and especially how that shapes the way we form our communities and the kind of belonging we want to foster or uh, invite people into. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for, for your time and for chatting with us. Well, thanks for the work you're doing. This looks like a great and exciting project. Before we wrap up this episode of the Meadowcast, we want to give away another resource thanks to Common Word and Herald Press. For this episode, we're giving away a book by Natalie Frisk entitled Raising Disciples, How to Make Faith Matter for Our Kids. We thought this would be a great companion piece to our conversation with Irma Fastuick. If you would like to win this resource, all you need to do is like our Facebook page at The Metalcast and you will automatically be entered to win. Again, I just want to give a big thank you to Herald Press and Common Word for sponsoring this giveaway. This book, Raising Disciples, is actually published by Herald Press. And if you want to find out more about them or the things that are coming out, go to heraldpress.com. Now, another really cool thing about this book is that it is part of the Common Read program. This is something that our church has been a part of for a couple of years now. And what Common Word Bookstore and Resource Center does is every year they, they pick a number of books to be part of this Common Read program. And if you and your church want to do a book club or study it together as a church, you can buy multiple copies for a discounted price. And the really cool thing is that there are other churches all around the country or even in other places too that are all reading the book together. So get this, just buying books from Common Word already comes at a good price. But if you buy these books through the Common Read program, you're going to get 20% off those books. So check out Common Word at commonword.ca. If you're doing any small group studies or book clubs, this is a great way to get a discounted price on some great resources. Well, you know, there's, there's a lot that Irma packed into our time together. And I really appreciate her insight. Carrie, maybe we need to ask you because you're really uh, working um, most intentionally out of all of us with young people in the church. And, and maybe you could share some of the things that you've been noticing. And of course, sometimes we have frustrations maybe with young people or we don't understand them as much, but you must see a ton of different gifts uh, different ways of looking at life that young people bring. Yeah, I can try. I mean, I, I do have the huge privilege to work with them. And we have these young people who are so involved and so full of life. But because of different bylaws of churches and stuff, they can't serve in all capacities. And so we're missing out on these gifted young people. So, I mean, the question there is, is the solution we allow people to become members without being baptized or is the solution we like dig down and really get to the root of why people aren't being baptized? And I, I really don't see it as young people being frustrating or different, but I, I kind of put the blame a little more in the church. I'm a little bit like, what, what have we created here that the young people aren't willing to stand up in front and make a commitment to what about the church are they turned off by? And I know in an urban setting, the church just has a bad rap, right? Um, and of course, I think Irma talks a little bit about, we don't, you know, people want the church to be perfect before they can join. And of course, 
there will always be flaws. Um, but I think there is some work that the church needs to do, some life that could be breathed in there to bring its young people back a little bit. Um, because young people bring this this great perspective of, it's just different. It's They've had a different experience in our generations. They bring life. They bring questions. I think one thing that can bring young people back to the church is acknowledging doubt. A lot of them have doubts. I mean, they have so much knowledge at their fingertips in a square on their phone. So, of course, they're going to have questions and doubts. Um, but how can we normalize that? That you're going to have doubts, but you can also have faith. Uh, I think that would go a long way in aiding us in some of these challenges. Mm-hmm. And, and Ryan, you have young adult kids. Anything I you do. want to add to that? Well, don't you have mean, to talk you, about them. You can just talk no, about no, young adults. I, but, but I certainly have a front row seat into some of the pressures and the challenges they're facing and as they negotiate life in the church. Well, nobody has this all sorted out at 16 or, or, or 30 or 45 or whatever. Like it's, it's one marker on a journey that is, is moving. And so even as I even I, as I express some hesitation about some of the factors that are that are influencing decisions for baptism, I need to remind myself fully that, you know, I didn't I didn't know anything at 16. I didn't have any idea the pressures that were forming me at, at 16. I couldn't have articulated any of that. Um, I'm I, looking back. I can interpret certain things. So I need to I think we need to extend the same grace to to people that are negotiating baptism at an earlier stage of the journey than we're on too, and, and, and just be willing to walk with them going forward um, with, with, with grace and with, um, you know, being willing to share our story back into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ryan, probably when you were being baptized, there was like this 40-year-old something man who's like wondering like, who are these young people? And I don't understand <laughs> them. <laughs> Why does he have an earring? And, and why is this hockey bag in the trunk? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're 100% right. And now I'm that guy. Yeah. And our, <laughs> well, maybe that's a, that's a good place for us to wrap things up, knowing that we don't have all the answers, but yet believing that young people are a gift to the church and have so many gifts to offer. And, and we, we as, I mean, I as a pastor and we as the church, I think, need to find ways to walk together and walk graciously and openly and to allow ourselves to be formed uh, by them and to you know just be the community that we feel called to be Um, even if we don't have it all figured out and even if the trends are not going in the way we hope uh, whatever that looks like for baptism and membership going forward any last thoughts from you both no i i I agree 100 percent with what you said there moses and i think that if anything baptism should should remind us of is it's that that god meets us as as kind of fallen and fragile creatures on the journey and and lifts us up and 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 blesses us into a future where he doesn't leave or where he doesn't leave us and is faithful to us so it's not about getting all all the things right and making sure you have every little influence figured out and um that you have a, a story worthy of baptism or a faith worthy of baptism or any of that, because that's not what that's not that's not, that's not what's doing the work here at all. It's God doing the work. Amen. Yeah. So Ryan, j- just like you end all your sermons, hey, now we're going to end all the podcasts with your fidelity messages. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the older I get, the more I'm convinced of it. Oh, that's great. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Menocast. You can find us at themenocast.com. Listen to episodes on our website or subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review if you like what you heard 
and join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Minnowcast. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions. You can contact us through our website or at themenocast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Nick Duick for creating our music and our advisory group for guiding us along the way. We would also like to thank Common Word for partnering with us to give away awesome resources and Mennonite Church Eastern Canada for providing us with a seed grant to get this project going. Lastly, I want to thank my co-hosts Carrie and Ryan for joining us today. I'm Moses Falco. Until next time.